pointed out that uh, Joshua's name is not mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, but Rahab the prostitute, her name is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. So I left you with the question, if you're walking into Jericho and you're supposed to try to pick out who was going to be the person that was going to have faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and that was going to help the Israelites conquer Jericho, would you have chosen Rahab? And I think that it's just a good reminder for all of us. And so this morning, what I'd really like to do is I'd just like to have an open conversation with you because I feel like that there's certain times where we just kind of, we need to kind of need to go back to the basics and kind of readdress some things. So I don't see how you can study the scriptures and not understand Jesus' teaching and the analogies that he used. And he's trying to warn people and trying to help them understand that, yes, there is heaven to gain, but there's also something that you need to guard the loss of. And it's an eternal decision. And so I believe that. But in the process of that, what winds up happening, and this is why I just want to take some time this morning, I just want to talk, and I want us to just consider some things, is that what winds up happening in our human experience is that somehow it's natural within the process of church that we get the gospel confused, that we lose track of what the gospel is really all about. So for me, and I'm just sharing my own personal experience from where I come from, for me, the way the gospel was presented, um, the Romans Road, how many of you were taught the Romans Road? Does that ring a bell? Okay. You have a, a set of verses that you were taught, and you go through, and you can show somebody. And I can remember growing up that when I would go knock on doors with a group of people, and I would try to present tracts, and I would try to talk to people, that I had this, if I can call this presentation that I would go through, and to try to get people to make a decision. And I don't feel like that there's anything wrong with that. But for me, that process and what that did for me is it's like I, I can remember struggling as a teenager because um, I'm trying to present something. And I, I, I remember feeling this struggle inside because I'm like, we're trying to get people to just say yes to something and yet when I would read the scripture, especially through college, there's like this conflict going on inside of me with what is the gospel really about? Does that make sense? So John chapter 3, I want you to go there with me, John chapter 3, and I want you to look at what is, I mean, we drive through Madison, I love the fact that it's posted up, it's right near the food line now, John 3. Good. Awesome. Uh, I love the fact that Tim Tebow really put John 3.16 out there because he put it in black on his eyes. And, you know, for like a week or two, it was like, wasn't it like one of the most Googled passages in the world. And I think that that's awesome because people are like, what is John 3.16? So for some of you, if you think that um, we're still predominantly Christian nature, you need a I mean, Christian nat nation, then uh, obviously some of those things get exposed. But John 3, 16 and 17, many of you can quote that and praise God. It said, for, for God so loved the world 
Regardless of what version you're reading in, this is, this is what the version is going to proclaim. That because of God's love for the world, that he sent his only son, Jesus, into the world, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. And I don't know how you interpret that word perish, but that's a loss of something. There's something good not going on there. But that they wouldn't perish, but that they would have eternal life, that they would have everlasting life. And it says in verse 17 that God did not send his son into the world for condemnation's sake, but on the other hand, so that the world through him might be rescued, saved, redeemed, or changed. So we get this picture here, and it's a beautiful picture, but if you go back earlier in the chapter and you read the context of what he's talking about in the explanation there, who is the man that he's talking to at the beginning of chapter 3? Who? Somebody said his name. Hmm? Okay, a Jewish ruler. What was his name? Nicodemus. So here's a man that had all of this religious training, and he knew the law. He knew all the rabbinical teachings. He had gone for our purposes. He had gone to seminary. He had been around all these great teachings. But the way that Jesus was presenting and who Jesus was presenting to, and you got to understand that there's a lot of confusion going on with these religious leaders because they were very devout and very committed to the Hebrew way, and yet here's this man that's coming on the scene and he's doing miracles. He's doing amazing things. People are following him, but he's also being accused by these religious leaders of being satanic because why? He's spending time with sinners, with people that from a religious hierarchy, they were not meeting the mustard, if I can say. So then Nicodemus comes to him, and he's, he's coming to him privately, and he's asking him, so what does Jesus say to him? Nicodemus, this is about a spiritual birthing process. This is about spiritual birth. And so then he explains, and he gives a comparison between physical birth and spiritual birth. Now, most everybody in here, you're fairly familiar with your physical birthday. When everybody tells you that you were born and you got a little document that says that when you're born. And so this process of spiritual birth, Bob, I'm gonna keep picking on you. Thanks. How you doing, Bob? Okay. So I can remember the first time that Bob and I met. We began this dialogue about spiritual birth. And so I knew that the Spirit of God was working on Bob, and Bob had a lot of questions, and we had a lot of good conversations. But the difference between me at that point in my life versus when I was a teenager is I had learned that the gospel was something that Bob had to work through and embrace because I wasn't trying to get Bob to just say words that would be a sinner's prayer, but that Bob was making a choice that he was going to embrace Jesus as God's son, as his personal redeemer, not just for a moment, but for the rest of his life. So my question this morning is, how do you get to heaven? This is a question that I want to pose this morning. How do you get to heaven? <laughs> That's awesome. Do y'all hear Michelle? 
This is the first step, you got to die. Okay? Got to pass away. All right? That was not what I was expecting, but that's what I love about this church family. Okay? Wouldn't, that's a good perspective. I needed that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's the positive part of the, the dying process, okay? So what we believe as a church family is, and, and, and honestly, we're not here just, to, I'm not here to play games. Like, I, my heart is for the gospel message to go forward. I'm a flawed, messed up human being trying to stand up here and teach and proclaim a beautiful gorgeously redeeming message from our Savior. But how you get to heaven, and this has been a discussion ever since Jesus came, but I want you to consider this. The way that you get to heaven is tied to what we talked about between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it has everything to do with the simple con concept that's very difficult for us to embrace every, each and every day, it's faith. Now, some of you know and you've memorized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. If you haven't memorized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, please write these two verses down because they need to be embedded into your heart, mind, and soul. And especially for some of you that you beat yourself up all the time and you're brutal with yourself because you have this perfectionist expectation that you somehow try to draw Jesus into, and that's never going to work for you. If it works for you, then it's not working for God because that's not how things work with him. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And this is what it says. You may say words a little bit differently in the version that you're reading, but it's because of God's grace that we are saved or forgiven or redeemed. For it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's a faith thing. And it makes it very plain that it's not of works. It's not anything that we can do because if it were something that we could do, we would do with salvation and redemption just like what we do with everything. Look out in the parking lot. Who's got that new truck out there? <laughs> Richard's like, that's mine, okay? Over the last several weeks, there's been several new trucks, okay? It's not mine. Mine's a 95 Honda Accord in the bottom, okay? That's right, everybody can't be rocking that. Honda brother over there, you know what I mean? You think you got new wheels? I got faithful old wheels. But what I'm saying is salvation is not, and Jesus and church and religion is not about, whoa, who did that? That's cool. All right. There's no bragging rights in heaven. And if there's no bragging rights in heaven, there's no bragging rights down here about our own merits, our own good works, or about how good. Because let me just remind you, none of us can meet the mustard on being good. And if you have a perspective that you think you're good or you're better than other people, I want to just caution you this morning. Whoa, the horse. Whether your neck rain or you better grab both those things and pull back. Or if you're driving a car, you need to brake. You need to slow that thing down. 
Because it's not about trying to be good. It's about what he's saying. It's about the gift of God. It's a gift that's not earned. It's a gift that's presented. It's something that's been paid for by somebody else other than ourselves. And it's something that we receive by faith. So go to John chapter 17 now, if you would. I love John 14. I love the book of John. If you are struggling with faith or you are new to your faith, the book in the New Testament that I constantly encourage people to read and evaluate and go through, and it's, it's good to keep going through it and go back and revisit it, is the book of John. John was an amazing follower of Christ. And what I love about John is that John, John had a perspective and John got certain things that the rest of the group didn't know. Peter, all the apostles were incredible. Each and every man and woman that followed Jesus in their own right had incredible strengths and gifts, and they were incredible. But if you look at John, there was something, there was a depth of insight, there was a connectivity that John got that eluded some of the other apostles. And so I love the fact that he records it in, in, in the Gospel of John, and you get a glimpse of that. And so the book of John is very encouraging for you to read and study. And if you haven't been in your Bible in a long time, let me encourage you, if you're going to start just picking through the New Testament again or picking through the Bible, start in John and read a section of John each and every day. Or you say, oh, Tim, I can't do that. Well, then start it with once a week, okay? But open up the Scriptures and allow the Spirit of God to work on you through what he's trying to teach you and how he's trying to draw you. But John chapter 17, and if you're not familiar with John chapter 17, I love this because um, Matthew, what we call the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew, you know, most of us could, if I were to start, we could say it together. Our Father who art in heaven. Can you all hang that with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. And we call, that, we call that the Lord's Prayer. That's really our prayer. If you want to know the Lord's Prayer, read John chapter 17. Because this is a passion in the heart of our Lord as he's praying. In verse 1, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. He's asking the Father to glorify your, his Son. That your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And I remember the first time I read this, this blew my mind. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus whom you have sent. Now, John chapter 14, if you go back to John chapter 14, what did Jesus, Jesus made a very bold proclamation. And for those of you that you have been sucked into our world's teaching, and maybe you won't say it outwardly, but down in your heart you think, well, this is good that we're here, but you know, all roads lead to heaven. Please hear my heart when I say this. There's only one source that proclaims that truth, and it's the anti-God, the defeated one. There's a preacher of that truth, and his name is Lucifer. And the scripture makes it very plain that his goal for each and every one of us is to derail us, to dupe us, 
to deceive us, to lie to us. And if it weren't for the restraining hand of God, the angelic forces that fell would destroy each and every one of us physically if God were to remove his hand. So whether you walk in here believing that you have an enemy, our real enemy is not terrorism, and that is a very real enemy. But our genuine real enemy is the fallen one that if you look at the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, is trying to get us distracted from the gospel message so that we do not have the power of God running and coursing through our system so that we can live differently to proclaim to other lost people that you can live differently. You get what I'm saying? So in John chapter 17, this is what he says, and this is what I wanna present to you this morning. The way that you get to heaven is by faith through grace, and the way that you get to heaven is the way that you get through this life. Have you ever thought about that before? Because some of you, you've been presented with a gospel that does this. Just ask Jesus to jump into your heart and forgive you of your sins. And then you skip on your own merry way. And life is wonderful until you die. That is nowhere in this book. Now, I know that that's popular teaching across our nation now. And it's been popular teaching for many, many years. But do you realize that in the New Testament, when it was written, in the way that things were proclaimed, that there were certain monikers that were placed on followers of Jesus Christ? Did you notice that word, followers of Jesus Christ? They were believers, but they were followers. Christian was first used where? Do you remember the town? Antioch. And the term was used as not them calling themselves Christians, but other people saying, these are little Christ. These are little mirror representations of what Jesus was. It wasn't a name that they placed on themselves or something they put on their own bumper. It was something that other people called them because of what they saw lived out in their lives. What was another phrase that was used for the early Christians? They would say, are you in the way? Hey, Woody, are you, are you part of the way? Are you in the way? And both of those have to do with lifestyle. And in the book of James and all throughout church history, there's been this constant dialogue. You look at the book of Romans and you can see the same thing. It's this constant dialogue about what does faith look like? And some people will say, my works exhibit my faith. And other people will say that, no, I do my works because of my faith. And there's this back and forth. But the reality is, is that the way that we get to heaven is by faith through grace. And that's the exact same way that we live our lives right now. How are we supposed to pray? The, the, the example prayer. His kingdom come today, right now, the way that it would be done in heaven today. Is that possible? Obviously, something's way more possible because Jesus said, this is how you need to pray. You know what's happened in my life? 
as I have prayed that prayer and evaluated my heart through the years, is that there's a purification that takes place inside of Tim Duggins because I'm learning to view you, my wife, my children, my family, and view myself more through his eyes and his plan and his desire and his passions, not my own. That's the working out of my faith. Genuine faith Genuine grace has to be applied at some point, and then you have to keep taking steps to apply it. I talk to people regularly that say, oh, I asked Jesus to jump into my heart when I was 17. I, I, know, I'm going to, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Obviously got some evangelical or Baptist backgrounds. I said, you know, what do you do with the scripture that says work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Well, <laughs> I mean, let me go get a theology book and explain that one away because that doesn't fit into Baptist theology. The point is that that faith needs to be evaluated. I'm not saying that you can lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. I'm not saying that you lose the gift that God has given you. What I am saying is that this faith and this grace creates a faith to where that there's a yearning, there's a fellowship, there's a way and so, just like what Jesus said, eternal life, please hear me, is being experienced right now today. Now, some of you, this is new concept. So, if you've got questions, or you, I want you to go to the scripture. But Jesus said that eternal life is knowing God on a personal level. The only way that I can know God on a personal level is through Jesus Christ. He's my intercessor. He's the one that his blood has made it possible for me to come to God the Father and to talk to him and to interact with him and so that he intercedes with me. He takes the struggles that I have inside that I don't even know how to put words or expressions on and he interprets those to the Father and he helps me in my relationship. This is the gospel. So Bob, in this process of our relationship, the way that I was when I was a teenager, I thought that in order to get Bob help, I would have pressured him at our first dinner meeting to get him to pray a prayer that he wasn't ready to pray because it was about me trying to get the gospel crammed into his vocabulary, whether he understood it or not. Now, some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Some of the rest of you go, man, I get that loud and clear. But God helped me and we met together and we loved and we'd have deep conversations and he would share things that he didn't understand and we'd talk and I'd let him know that it's okay to misunderstand. And then he grew to a point where he knew that his sins had been forgiven. And he knew that he had faith in Christ. Am I correct, Bob? Am I embellishing anything? Huh? Okay, took a while. Did you hear what he said? It took a while. You know why it took a while? Because it was Bob's salvation. Bob wasn't Tim. Bob had things from the past that he was trying to work through before God, and he was trying to reconcile. And Bob would say to me, you don't know the things I've done. I'm like, that's okay, I don't need to know. You don't know the things I've done. We're all equal before the cross. We're in need of Jesus. So then when Bob got to the point where he could say, 
I know that my sins have been forgiven. I have faith. My faith is in Jesus Christ and him alone. Then he was ready to walk into the baptismal waters and proclaim to all the brothers and sisters who were gathered at the Berry home that day and standing around the swimming pool, he was able to say, I believe in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's by grace that I've been saved. And it's nothing that I can do. It's a gift from him. I'm gonna boast in him, not in anything that I've done. Is that correct, Bob? Did you wanna come up here and help or are you good from back there? <laughs> so here's, here's what I wanna encourage you. This message of the gospel, it's not about us being perfect. It's about us trying to understand our own faith. It's about grace. Far too many churches are known for fighting and bickering and hatred, and it needs to be about grace, love, and faith. Please hear me. It's so important that this is real to you because I want to just remind you, my, my wife and I are very limited. And as this church family grows, we're more limited in a beautiful way. We've got some new families that are gonna start connection groups in the coming months. There are new things that are gonna be taking place and some of you are gonna be stepping out by faith. Do you understand that the gospel presentation and sharing the gospel how to get to heaven, but how to live this life is through the proclamation of all of our lives together. Where you work, where you live, what you do. You say, Tim, the gospel message is not really clear to me. I've been there, I understand that. Then you need to meet with God and you need to beg him to pour over you and make it crystal clear so that you have that confidence that you have been redeemed, that you have that confidence that you've been forgiven, that you know that it's not anything that you can do so that you can pass that same message on to somebody else. Is there a Rahab? Is there a male Rahab that you look down your nose at or you think, oh, that person would never come to Christ? How do you know what's going on in their heart, mind, and soul? Thank God all of our actions aren't put on display boards Thank God all of our thoughts and our struggles aren't put on the TV screen on Sunday mornings. That'd be a nasty service. So let's extend grace and love to other people and let's show them the reality of the gospel message that Jesus came to give us hope, to give us life, to give us vitality. So how do you get to heaven? Faith and grace. The way you get to heaven is the way you live this life right now. The two are connected. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you. I want to say thank you publicly for your patience with my lack of understanding through the years. God, I thank you for being patient as I worked out the religion and I was able to fall more in love with you and make a relationship the priority. And so God, we all, some people have no church background this morning. I ask that the simplicity of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins would 
overwhelm and draw them to you. And for those of us that have confusing religion that keeps us bound and twisted up, I pray for freedom over brothers and sisters this morning and that the gospel message would be made very plain in our hearts because of your spirit illuminating and revealing to us what you've done on our behalf. Uh, God, I just pray freedom over this group of people. Father, I pray freedom over husbands and wives. I pray freedom over um, just children and teenagers, Father. I pray freedom over college students. Oh, God, there's just so many situations. Oh, we come to you. We need you, Father. God, we need what only you can do. I thank you that you are long-suffering and gentle and that you are forgiving. And I thank you that your son came to give us life, not death. So help us to choose by faith today to choose you. God, help us as we learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen.